welcome to Media Roots Radio. Welcome, people. Welcome, people. So, it was just Giuliani's favorite holiday, Dick Cheney's favorite holiday, basically everyone in the Bush administration's favorite holiday, 9-11. Never forget. Never forget. Even VeggieTales released a never forget 9-11. I mean, it's- Yeah, was that a, uh, was that a joke? That was very odd thing for them to do. I, I liked it though. It's extremely surreal how far we've come and how stories yeah. are still coming out about Saudi Arabia financing like dry runs of 9-11 and people still denying that, no, everything's fine. Don't ask any questions. Just just put your head down and, and, and plug along as if like that's not strange, as if it's not weird that this is our best and closest ally and they, they were intimately involved in the operation. Doesn't that strike anyone as odd? it's incredibly odd and it's also odd how people there's a lot of people who are using that as like look this is proof that you know there wasn't anything weird about 9-11 like it's exactly what you know we thought it was that the Saudis did it which is to me it's also a false well let's talk about why that's a false narrative because that's a really really good point Robbie well I mean Peter Joseph um the the guy Mm -hmm. who made Zeitgeist I think he had a perfectly succinct way of putting it it's like why would one of our biggest allies and and the people that we fund the most that rely on us heavily, why would they attack us? Like if it was the government who did it. Right. Um, and I mean, there's a lot, there's a really deep rabbit hole to go in there about the U.S. government and other intelligence networks around the world using Saudis as proxies for different operations. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it doesn't even make sense if if you want to look at it from that angle that the Saudi government was behind 9-11, it really doesn't make sense. It's the same thing as the JFK where where they're like the mob did it, but it's like who yeah, can cov- who it. can cover up that the mob did it then? Who is the ultimate yeah. purveyor of the cover-up? Well, yeah, let's let's play that out for just a second. If the Saudi government did it, we already know that the Bush family has deep business ties with people in the Saudi government and the bin Laden family itself. And Prince Bandar, who was nicknamed uh, Bandar Bush by George W. Bush, literally has a money. There is a money trail going back to him that's funding this mis- that the FBI and a lot of other people have identified as a front, a cutout for some of the funding that went directly to 9-11 hijackers. And he Bandar Bush is directly tied to it directly. So that alone should make people think. Wow, maybe the Bush administration was criminally complicit in 9-11. But that's the strange thing to me is people make this extra leap where I see a lot of very reactionary leftists who never accepted any kernel of 9-11 truth who are like, now, you know, if it, it's obviously not an inside job. So like any remaining questions, you know, those can be easily explained or they're not a big deal. It's like, well, the, the, the phrase inside job is an oversimplified old meme that really is meaningless. I mean, so I just think that's weird that that's where intellectual leftists are still are like reacting to that meme. It's like, and that's why yeah, know, Alex Jones like ruined the, the questioning and the, the, the movement that the families and, you know, uh, the firefighters and all these people were really pushing for all these unanswered questions. And, and mind you, people who don't realize that New Yorkers too voted in a referendum to have a new investigation that was blocked. Um, yeah. by Giuliani, Bloomberg people. 
Um, so yes, this is this is a huge movement. It's not just a fringe, loony element of conspiracy culture. This was a huge movement that was actually crushed and thwarted by mainstream people and also hijacked by people like Alex Jones, who, who used the term inside job. People will know what happened to me. I was a heretic to the movement. So there's a lot of different elements, um, COINTELPRO style that have totally destroyed any sort of last semblance of, of any sort of 9-11 truth movement. That's legitimate. And it's really unfortunate well, because we haven't been told the truth. No. And it's, and it's, it's so important that we do know the truth. And to me, it's really irrelevant how many, it's like, yeah, 3000 people in the bigger scheme of things is really not that many. We killed, you know, potentially a million people in Iraq. So I know, and I've seen people, there are a lot of leftists and I've seen it, I saw it yesterday. I've, I've heard it for years where it's like, well, yeah, you know, there might be others that answer questions about 9-11, but it's like almost like selfish for us to want to get to the bottom of that and like worry about that so much because like the crimes we committed afterwards were like so much more horrendous. And I just, I guess I just don't understand that mindset because it's like, why wouldn't you be curious about how the Bush administration, to what level the Bush administration but Robbie, it's was not criminally even, complicit? I think that it's honestly because of what has become mainstream. So, of course, the knee-jerk reactionary tendency of leftists is going to be to totally abandon all conspiracy culture and just be like, you know, have up a wall, essentially. And I think that that has been, in part, a reaction to this bizarre I- normalization of the most crazy unfounded conspiracy theories that are uh, propagated by these people, Alex Jones, et cetera. It's very surreal. Yeah. And I mean, I think the dogmatic truthers who harassed leftists, you know, for years going back all the way to like 2002, um, who were constantly getting like Amy Goodman's and Noam Chomsky's face about 9-11. I think those, it's like, I think those are the people that a lot of these more traditional leftists are reacting to. It's, but it's like, the part that bugs me is, do they not know any other leftists who are like, yeah, 9-11 was really fucking weird, and I have a lot of questions about it, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Like, why is that a taboo? Or why, I, that's the part that is really infuriating to me, because I feel like that is sort of like a consensus left, like, thought policing shaming. It's oh, like, absolutely. no, you're not allowed to talk absolutely. about that. It's like, well, fuck you, dude. Like, I know, but the, the truth is, the sad part is, most of the leftists who react this way towards anything remotely 9-11 truth, they haven't seen, in my opinion, most of the good shit. And then when you actually bring up the good shit to them, they're like, well, that's not 9-11 truth. That's just like good journalism that like cracked open, you know, one, this thing, aspect of 9-11. So it's like, I don't really understand why people are so emotional about it. (laughs) I I don't. Because it's so long Do you afterwards. We're like, like, but Robbie, that's the, this is the new nuclear bomb myth. Don't you understand? It's like literally the myth that's like the new generation underpinning our entire reality. I mean, we yeah. we grew through it, and you know, we were astute enough politically to be at that age where we were like, "What in the holy fuck is going on?" And going through all the propaganda afterward. But imagine being like ten. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I can't speak for people who are a lot younger, but I. I, I do understand the emotion. I understand the shaming. I get it. I've lived through it. I've been the center of this controversy for a long time. So I, I get it. And um, yeah. I get the self-censorship more than anything. Because I, I will tell you that when I moved to D.C., um, literally 95% of people that I interacted with or talked to agreed. I didn't live through that like you did. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it happening to you. 
And yeah, I mean, it, it is really strange how many people in private who would never say anything in public actually think very similar to me and you on this issue. Yet, you know, they remain, I, I have been using the term closeted truther because I know there's at least two, and, I, and I've learned this through the grapevine, like I have enough colleagues who associate with like some of these left heroes, you know, that speak at all, a lot of these conventions and stuff. And I know at least two of the, some of the biggest figures who are not openly truthers are closeted 9-11 truthers. And I think a lot of the leftists out there who are so reactive towards any 9-11 truth would be shocked to learn that. And even one of them in particular said that I, and I'll say his gender, it's a he, said that for 10 years, I listened to the left, like bashing of 9-11 truth and agreed with it, that it was a distraction, that it was crazy. And he has now come around to it 10 years later. So I think that I think there's a lot of people out there. I think maybe some of the younger people don't realize this, but here's just a list of people that one t- at one time or another were and very... And I even forgot this. It's amazing. Check out Robbie's thread on Twitter, Fluorescent Gray. But uh, it's an incredible list of people that will surprise the hell out of you. That includes historian Gore Vidal, um, who was actually written off as a kook towards the end of his life because of his strong stance on 9-11. Walter Cronkite, Hunter S. Thompson, um, went on the BBC radio like a couple weeks after 9-11 and just said, he's like, they asked him what his first reaction was to the event. And he says, well, I thought that the CIA did it. That was his gut reaction. David Lynch um, is on a Dutch TV documentary being asked about loose change. Um, First, he's sort of assessing it on the merits of it being a film. And then he admits that it opens up a whole new series of questions for him regarding 9-11, and he doesn't think of the event the same way now. Ed Bagley Jr., one of the biggest electric car environmentalist activists, used to host 9-11 truth conventions back in the early 2000s. Howard Zinn endorsed 9-11 truth material. Uh, But see, this is the thing that goes along with what you just said, is Ed Bagley Jr. and Howard Zinn both recanted, but they also admitted that they they were just getting harassed too much but not just by the public that was anti 9-11 truther, but also by truthers, like wanting them to say more shit. And they just like abandoned it. Wow. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then another one that he's not really a household name, but he's one of the most successful uh, screenwriters in Hollywood. Roberto Orki um, was smeared for being a 9-11 truther a few years ago. And if you watch Star Trek Into Darkness, one of his last big screenplays, it has basically a, like a 9-11 conspiracy-esque plot to it. I don't know if you've seen it, but so I, I mean, I just think that's a, those are good examples of like very smart and successful people, writers, intellectuals, artists who think that something very bizarre happened on 9-11 and they still have a lot of questions and they're not, they weren't ashamed to speak out about it. I mean, actors too, Mark Ruffalo, Martin Sheen, Woody Harrelson. I mean, you can, if you want to name actors, you can name dozens and dozens of popular Hollywood actors. And think about how knowing that they would get smeared too. People hate when like actors voice any political opinion. So can you imagine the heat that they got? The thing that I guess I want to end this little rant on is why wouldn't you be curious about the event that shaped so much of what America is going to be for for this, I'm going to use the language, the PNAC new century. I mean, that, that's, this is, it's defining the American century. And also, it's also defining the, the century of the globe. 
Well, and, um, and also when you, yes. when you put it into context around the event that happened right after the anthrax attacks and just who the Bush administration were, um, their connections, who just the horrible, like, I mean, Dick Cheney in general, he, he is like evil incarnate. So, I mean, these people are the worst of the worst. Like they should, they belong in Gitmo, you know? Um, so it's just really weird that people just give them a pass on the event that they then use to do all of these crazy criminal things that they just got away with scot-free and are now on painting and book tours. It is really interesting. And then when you ask, when you bring that to people who are actually like intellectual types who aren't, who reject everything we're talking about, they'll say, well, of course they lied about it. It's like, well, okay. So if you acknowledge right. that, what, what do you feel that right. they lied about? Right. And they'll, and they'll only really be able to name like the key talking points. Like they'll be like, well, they wanted to cover up the Saudi role. You know, they wanted to, they didn't want like anybody's, they don't want any heads to roll in the, you know, in the high up. So they made sure that like everyone took the blame. Like they'll, that's their version of doing it. But then if you really ask them like more and more questions, like what's the reason why they hired Philip Zelikow, a neocon to run the 9-11 commission? And put Kissinger on it. Yeah. What, what's the reason that, is that just because they wanted to cover their ass? And that to me is the, is the impenetrable weird logic of some of these leftists is that's where they end up. It's like, well, they were just trying to cover their ass. That's a huge assumption to make, to assume that, well, they just wanted to cover their ass because they were negligent or deaf to warnings. That's to me is way too risky of an assumption to make. And if you're making that assumption, in my opinion, you're not a great journalist for not being curious enough about what happened? I mean, are there any resources that you can offer to people so we don't go into an endless trajectory of theories and questions and everything that, you know, someone listening might want to look into? I mean, I'll just mention a few things which I think that leftists who not, haven't really explored this or who think it's all silly um, can actually, uh, like, read and learn things from. And then also ones that truthers, certain more dogmatic truthers might have to lower their guard down a little bit and accept, you know, th realities like that the hijackers actually did exist and things like that. Because that's, the, you know, there, there's, two, there's two, there's a problem happening sort of on each side, but things like Paul Thompson's Terror Timeline book, excellent, amazing resource. He also co-founded a website called History Commons that basically just chronologically lays out as many different news, factual and news details about 9-11 going way before 9-11 and after, and also just subcategorized into tons of different individual timelines. There's one for anthrax, the anthrax attacks. It's an amazing resource, and just reading that alone will show you how many contradictions there are, um, and things just do not make sense. Um, and uh, another great resource is Kevin Fenton's book, Disconnecting the Dots, which shows clearly that there was something very fishy happening at the Alex station, which is sort of the bin Laden unit in the CIA, where there's really no other way to explain it other than there was purposeful, like, withholding of evidence for some reason that seems to go far beyond just interagency rivalry, which is part of the official narrative that the agency didn't want to collaborate and share information. Um, it's Kevin Fenton's book. And then also um, Ray Nolowski uh, did 9-11 Press for Truth. Um, he did Who is Rich Blee, the audio documentary. Um, more excellent resources on how strange the, the actual nuts and bolts story is on how we just lost, you know, quote unquote, lost all these opportunities to go after bin Laden. The actual real story 
is so much more interesting than Zero Dark Thirty because it basically shows that there was some kind of weird, there were people basically blocking all this information, not just not sharing it, but blocking it. I mean, even just in terms of the warnings that were quote unquote ignored, that alone um, does implicate the Bush administration in something. Right. Um, to me, at least criminal negligence, but Kurt, Kurt Eichen, Eichenwald, one of the most, you know, Russiagate, like totally psychotic journalists who came out of the, you know, um, who came out of the election. I mean, he's been he's been writing for the New York Times for I think over a decade, and he was actually the guy who broke the story that it wasn't even just that one single PDB that Bush got, um, that one infamous one that we already that's been widely circulated. There were dozens and dozens of other PDBs that had even more specific mm-hmm. information in it. And his conclusion was Bush was deaf to 9-11 warnings. This is a mainstream New York Times reporter. So what does that really mean? He doesn't explore it in his article. He doesn't speculate. But why was Bush deaf to all these 9-11 warnings? Um, so and you can chalk Bush never, up as being dumb, but it's not just Bush. It's the people around him. They were all deaf, of too. So that's... And these people are all very smart neocons. Remember, the Bush administration was filled with some of the smartest motherfucking neocons ever. They, so why were they so deaf? That really needs to be answered. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be. No. Um, so, but, so yeah, those are, those are three resources I recommend people check out. Um, John Gold's YouTube channel right. is filled with great videos that... You know, I've never seen anywhere else. He actually finds videos of Hillary Clinton and Chris Dodd asking why John Ashcroft wasn't flying commercially before 9-11, saying some real truthery things on the House floor. Um, Anthony Weiner, uh, I think is a clip up on John Gold's webpage of Anthony Weiner asking why Rudy Giuliani and, and other government agencies destroyed the 9-11 crime scene evidence. So it, I, th- I think people tend to forget that this was not, there, there were a lot of really big people asking these questions. Right. Um, back then, and it just got really squashed. And anybody who asks them now is shamed and marginalized. We have to understand how the fuck did we get in this bizarre fake news dominating everything, a conspiracy like a Pizzagate guy in the White House. I think it really all stems from the 9-11 truth movement and this this wave that got hijacked and like totally manipulated and I think that's why, the conspiracy like, yes, movement. the conspiracy culture becoming like mainstream, but in the wrong ways. It's it's a very, well, very odd trajectory. What did Robert Kagan say in a very heavy agenda part one when he asked him all these people working together behind in secret? Does it ever bother you or make you worry that people think that's bad? Yeah. And Robert Kagan says, "Well, paranoia is a great quality in America historically." Right. So he knows that. People have been writing about that from before the, the turn of the century. I mean, like before the Industrial Revolution, America does have a tradition of being a paranoid uh, nation of people. So if a controlled opposition faction or some kind of information war uh, like arm of the U.S. government could figure out how to tap into that paranoia and basically steer it into their direction to make it useful for them, they would they would do it. And I'm not saying that parts of the U S government or the CIA are driving conspiracy theory culture online, but it, I, it wouldn't be, it would be smart for them to be doing it. I mean, that's, that's the way I look at it. But I mean, then again, we are a paranoid nation 
of people who are, and I think a lot of Americans are more mentally ill than they realize. So it's kind of, yeah, it's a real mess out there. When you yep. go look up any of this and stuff, the, it's all the craziest shit ever. Flat Earth is actually popular mm-hmm. now. It's nuts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and the group think of DC journalists are, uh, like you said, shame and name anyone who remotely questions these legitimate questions that we have. Those people are yeah. shamed. But Pizzagate, you can do a glowing 10-page profile on Cernovich, and that's totally fine. Not even mention the fact that he promoted Pizzagate. Isn't that amazing, the world we live in, where you can actually have raped someone, promote Pizzagate, and you have a 10-page write-up in New York Mag. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty funny, isn't it? It's, it's almost like the media now... I I don't understand it. It is very strange (laughs) to me. Um, But yeah, I mean, a lot of real, to me, really uh, interesting, real conspiracies just get totally ignored over the years. Um, So it's a real shame. And I mean, even just mm -hmm. Gitmo in and of itself, like, I mean, even if you don't think there's anything weird about 9-11, like Gitmo is not a re- legit institution. It's not, re- they're not really trying to capture terrorists and keep them there because they're too dangerous. They're, it's a show jail. It's a gulag for show. Right. For, for PR reasons to help propel the war on terror. That's all it is. I mean, it's a hoax. <laughs> so. It, it fits perfectly into the fake news hysteria and phenomenon that has shaped our reality today where, all the establishment groupthink journalists set the narrative for the Beltway, right? Shame and name everyone who doesn't agree with their rigid worldview of the neoliberal yeah. world order. Um, but then for some reason, they're so desperate for access that they'll do glowing profiles of Mike Cernovich and all these asshole morons um, and normalize them. Um, and at the same time, we realize that the fake news term has been weaponized, right, by by multiple people, by the establishment press that I'm talking about, also by the Trump regime. Um, Trump's people understand that calling everything that doesn't worship them fake news works. And we see an echo chamber that's now just regurgitated amongst the Trump um, brown shirts, the base that are just recycling these fake news stories from yournewswire.com and literally believing them. And they just live in this reality now. So let's talk about, yeah, I mean, I mean, and how RT fits into this. So let's talk about, you know, where the establishment is going to, to weaponize the fake news phenomenon and how we can sort of navigate this new landscape. Yeah, well, I think it was just yesterday that Sputnik, um, the the Russian government-ran radio affiliate out of D.C., and the RT channel itself, RT America, um, is now being required to register as a foreign agent in the United States. And this is from the Hill to explain what that means. Um, let's see. So basically, when you register as a foreign agent, um, the Hill says that it requires regularly submitted paperwork that lists its source of foreign government-tied revenue and the contacts it makes in the United States. And it would require any reporting to be labeled as being influenced or financed by the Russian government. So the one thing that stands out to me there that's very McCarthy-ish is 
it needs to file paperwork that shows contacts it makes in the United States. So pretty, what does that really mean? Does that mean anybody that, the, that RT interacts with at all, they have to keep a record of and submit it to the U.S. government? That's really interesting. I mean, like every guest. So like, let's say if this happened when you were doing Breaking the Set, you, you contacted a lot of guests, a lot of, a lot of whom, you know, you had to juggle and figure out which ones could be booked and some of them couldn't. So like, what do they, what, how do, what do they count? Are they monitoring? Are they going to make all RT bookers and producers like have to keep a record of everybody they contact? I mean, it's really actually disturbing. Right. Wow. So you, you haven't heard, you haven't looked into this. No, yet, not at all. The story. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, but you had a really interesting theory about where this is all going because as we know through the DNI report that the director of national intelligence, one of those 18 or 17 agencies that they claim had a unanimous conclusion that Russia hacked the election and caused Trump to win. The DNI report that came out was, was just, you know, basically just an attack on RT and it wasn't just an attack on RT promoting Putin and Russia. It was an attack on RT specifically my show covering just general issues that would be covered on democracy now and to really just attack legitimate journalism that covers issues that they don't want people to know about or to, to talk about. Well, that's pretty much it. I mean, so I like to take this back like right before the election, um, you know, before we heard the term Russiagate, uh, the stuff being thrown at Trump in terms of Putin and Russia was that Trump said positive things about, you know, Russia. And there were some like, things being floated in the media about business ties that he had to Russia and stuff like that. And at the time, you know, I knew that it was a bullshit talking point. Even if some of those things, you know, Donald Trump did say nice things about Putin. All that stuff being said, it didn't amount to anything real. It was obvious that it was dovetailing into what you and I saw as like a slow moving propaganda campaign for multiple years to try to ratchet up tensions with Russia. And, and, and basically make Americans, not just the American media class, but Americans in general, like hostile towards Russia and actually look at Russia as the enemy. I don't even know if it's gotten to that point yet. I don't know. If, I mean, would you even say that's been effective? Have they gotten the American public to like hate Russia? I mean, I, th I would like to say no, but I mean, based on just the random people that I encounter that are not part of this world, I feel like in a way, yeah. Yes. But like, would you say they're like of all political stripes or more like liberals and Democrat yes. type people? Yes. So they, so they've gotten at least like a half of the voting population maybe to be anti-Russian. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, I got, I hope not that much, but yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's alarming in and of itself, but that seemed to be the goal originally, even of just like the anti-Putin hysteria, even before Trump ran. I mean, that seemed to be the goal right. of it. Like even as early on as the Vice gay rights law pussy riot uh, coverage that they would do so often, that seemed to be the goal. Um, you know, there was some stuff mixed in there maybe of like trying to empower the Russian people, you know, perhaps. But that's totally by the wayside now. Now it is like a cartoonish evil empire, omniscient Putin Russia is behind everything. So that was already going before the election. But as soon as Donald Trump won, you know, they were already saying that that WikiLeaks was in cahoots with Russia, that was already out there kind of, but I don't think it really picked up very much steam. It never became like, this is like a slam dunk narrative. It was almost just like anger 
like fucking WikiLeaks, like you're now just working for Putin, you motherfuckers. Like that was the mindset. Mm -hmm. So, but after the election, a new thing came out, like a new uh, excuse for why Hillary lost. It wasn't that Trump was in cahoots with Putin. It wasn't that WikiLeaks was in cahoots with Russia and somehow they had, you know, Russia hacked. It was that fake news flooded the internet with anti-Hillary Clinton stuff to the point where it was like unstoppable. And there were allegedly, you know, bot farms all over mm -hmm. the place, Russian bot farms, Russian troll farms, like giant warehouses full of people just constantly posting on social media is really what that means. Or in the terms of bots, it's like automatic scripts, you know, that use like thousands of Twitter accounts that are all basically fake cutout Twitter accounts to post the same tweet over and over again. They were claiming that this was a serious threat to democracy and it had a huge impact on the election. And the weekend after the election, Obama apparently found this article so important that he circulated it around uh, to the, all the White House staff. It was like, this is like really, really important. So on one hand, you, you know, you had the Democrats maybe scheming to say that Russia hacked the election. That's in Hillary Clinton's book, um, or not her book, but the book Shattered mm -hmm. that was like a, that came out a couple months ago. There's a part in the book that says that on the, basically on the evening of the election, um, they devised that if they lost, they would say that Russia hacked the election. Um, but I think what really was happening is there were people in the U.S. government and in intelligence agencies especially, and even in like the information warfare sector of the U.S. government. And this is mostly speculation on my part. But what I think happened was many, many years ago when RT opened its offices here, um, intelligence networks here and information war experts in the U.S. government were like, this is a Russian intelligence operation. We have to, see, we have to view this TV network opening here as a Russian intelligence operation. Because even if it's not, they could still push intelligence through. It's basically like, um, like game theory, like old Cold War mentality thinking by the U.S. government. And I don't think that mentality went away. And I think the U.S. government or parts of it were watching RT and keeping tabs on it with the idea in the back of their mind that if it ever got to a point where we needed to clamp down on the internet or censor it or sort of censor dialogue out there, um, that we could say that, that this Russian intelligence operation, AKA RT was putting out so much propaganda in our country that we had no choice, but to like censor something, you know, and when I say we have no choice, I mean, not the U S government, like actually censoring the internet, but by sort of like putting out all these narratives in the media that maybe it's a good idea that companies like Google right. yep. and YouTube yep. and even Google the search engine start hiding search results, not for copyright infringement, because if you remember, even that was controversial right. to like internet, like freedom advocates they were like, fuck you, Google, like, fuck you, you censorship motherfuckers. Like, you're literally stripping search results off the internet because a corporation got mad at you. Like, that's bullshit. So they already did that years ago, but now it's actually like, well, maybe we should start filtering out fake news like or lowering its ranking on Google and on YouTube. So that was actually floated out there by like experts at the time. Mark Zuckerberg 
um, Eric Schmidt all started saying similar things very soon after the election. And what did we see happen slowly over time? We saw it wasn't just, you know, Russia doing, you know, fake news. That actually didn't seem to be really that connected. It was more like, oh, the fake news that these right-wing bots are putting out. But now we have a new think tank called the Alliance for Securing Democracy, which has concocted this narrative that even all these quote-unquote fake news right-wing media bots and viral hashtag attempts and far, you know, troll farms, those are actually all the Russian government. And, it, and, it, and the Russian government is behind the right-wing populist or quote-unquote populist like rise by flooding the inter- internet with fake news that helps like the right-wing like Trump base or alt-right. And that's basically what I think this is ultimately mm-hmm. coming down to is it doesn't matter who did it or who is flooding the internet with all this stuff to like disrupt establishment narratives because they need to shut it all down <laughs> in some way or another. And by conflating, by making it seem like that Russia's behind all the conspiracy websites, the right-wing YouTube videos, even now saying that they're like stoking white supremacy, you know, say it's behind all that stuff, then there's an argument to be made that, it, according to them, that we should do something about it. And it's a scorched earth, literally subverting like the First Amendment, but through a backdoor means, because this is all private corporations that now have control over the internet that we see and digest. So it's not quite government censorship, but since the government is basically in bed with Google, it's, it's the next best thing. And Be- It makes America look free and China look like a dictatorship. Right, Jeff Bezos has a giant contract with the CIA. We already know how Google's search algorithms can shape and manipulate reality where it can change your preferences, your political ideology. I mean, there's, there's things going on before this even happened so overtly that was already shifting um, the political consciousness of this country and, and other countries too, based on search algorithms, um, which is really, really disturbing. So, and this is actually a project centered story in, in their book this year. Facebook is so bad that it's just completely pointless to even try to share news or anything on there anymore. Um, all of my shit is hidden so much that it's just like a complete time suck. But in terms of getting stuff out there online, it's it's so insane. And the Democrats are just responding, not only, you know, doing this backdoor way to, to implement censorship, but then you see the Hillary campaign. Wait, before oh, we, yeah. get, we get into Verit, let me just yeah. make a final point about the 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 why the DNI yeah. spent so much time talking about RT. And if you notice in it, in the DNI report, they're not talking about RT costing Hillary the election directly because it was all written in like 2012. They're talking about it disrupting the 2012 election, which to me clues clues us in that the American government, parts of it were seeing RT the whole time as some kind of disruptive intelligence operation that was trying to disrupt our political landscape. And who's to say really make the argument that people in the Russian government weren't also thinking about it that way? So I'm not, I'm not making any excuse for the American government. What I'm saying is that I think they were just waiting for an opportunity. They let RT exist because ultimately they know it's not really a threat. They, they, I think the American government's actually not threatened at all by RT or the Russian government doing media here. But 
they, what's beneficial to them is they need an excuse to up the stakes with and be adversarial towards Russia for things like NATO expansion um, in areas like Ukraine and whatever other potential hotspots might arise. So they waited for an opportunity to be like, oh, yeah, RT was interfering with our election. This is serious. They were, I th and I think that's why they allowed RT to operate in the first place and, and for so long. Like, it is actually kind of weird that Washington, D.C. allowed them to open up shop in, like, right near the White House. I mean, that in and of itself is very strange but to me. Press TV, CCTV, I mean, all the, Iran, China, they all have offices right there. Yeah. And maybe that's partly to keep tabs on them, too. I mean, maybe, maybe they want, maybe the American government likes that they're all opening up right there. But it's there. the same I thing mean, to just pretend like we have freedom of press. Like like you said, I mean, they're not going to shut down RT. So this is the way to keep tabs on RT and basically concoct this narrative to, you know, delegitimize RT and then essentially blame it um, for well, where even, we are. And if you take this in combination with the story... I started with it's for registering as foreign agents. This is actually in a way better than shutting down RT because now they can literally have a database of the entire RT network and every single guest they bring on, every single lighting technician they have. Mm -hmm. They're going to start looking into every, I mean, the, I'm acting like they already haven't. Right. I mean, the American government has enough resources. They would have already looked into almost every RT employee's background. They're just going to make it harder to function. I mean, that, that's what they're exactly. doing. Exactly. Exactly. And make the employees at RT more paranoid now. Right. And also my friends I mean, at RT say it's already hard enough to book guests in the, in the wake oh of my this God. Russiagate hysteria. Oh my God. And can you, and it was already hard when you were right, doing right, it right. On, for certain people. There were already certain people who were like, I don't go on RT. Right. And then now it's like 10 times worse. I totally think you're spot on about this. And it's really amazing when you look at this, this think tank and how they've taken the term fake news, even though Trump is the one who came out of the gates with it, they just immediately took it and used it to their advantage and doubled down on it um, and are using it to now, you know, attack RT and create this think tank to basically attack all progressive journalism online, not to mention the right wing stuff, which I wanted to also say is very interesting that you have these people obsessing about Russia, right? Everyone from BBC to Gawker, these journalists who are convinced of this narrative. They really are. Um, and I even had, we talked about this on a previous podcast, but um, the guy from BBC who called me and said, someone at Sputnik supports Trump. Therefore, the Russian government is paying them to support Trump. And then you yeah. have people who... And when you heard that, you la you thought it was absolutely ridiculous, and you told that fucker. Yeah, no, yeah. To, I, I said, I said, dude, to him personally, I said, dude. And now that's like on, normal dude. dialogue. But this is what I'm, this is what I'm saying. And then you have Gawker journalists saying, tracing all these paranoid, like Luis Mensch style rants, tracing bots online to somehow the Russian government because they've been done in like Russian work time zone. Look, there are billionaires. Media moguls, Koch brothers, back billionaires, corporations. You don't think these people are fucking salivating over the Trump presidency and want right-wing bots online? Why is it going back to Russia? It just seems so much more obvious that people would export these bot farms, yeah, to push right-wing media trolls. I mean, it's obvious that these right-wing fake news stories are pushed out by bot farms, but it doesn't mean that the Russian government is doing it. It seems much That's more obvious that it would be just normal right-wing billionaires or oil oligarchs here that are just trying to push their agenda. Well, this is, Abby, I think we just, I, as you were saying this, I rem, I'm remembering 
now your interview with Alex Winter about Ross Ulbricht, his idea was so powerful and so game-changing for the quote-unquote black market, they needed to basically make him out to be like a total monster who was like a murderer. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, how they cannot shut down that technology. Mm-hmm. That's the, that is the power of the internet, is that you have to subversively somehow figure out ways to shut these things down um, or like dissuade people away from using them or make people think that it's all child porn or whatever, like the dark yeah, web yeah. is all child porn and things like that. Otherwise, because I don't think they can be shut down. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like that's, that's how they need to do it is by just um, making it, yeah, making it seem like all the right wing stuff that's disrupting the establishment narratives, that's all Russian and that's all somehow kind of some kind of like intelligence operation. Right. Instead of, it's actually not that expensive to hire a bunch of people in Eastern Europe to open a bot right. farm for you and push an idea <laughs> or a narrative. That's actually kind of frightening when you think about that anybody could do that. That's actually the real problem is that anybody with enough resources and time and energy could do that. It's clever. It's more clever than most elections are being done. But if Trump's people actually did some of that, that just means that they played the game in a way better than Hillary Clinton did. Yeah, and again, to so not point out the <laughs> obvious, what does that tell us about the Democratic Party? What does that say about them to not point out the very obvious nature about what's going on and to just pivot everything to Russia? It, it, it means that they ultimately, and this, is, this has been proven time and again, the collaboration with actual neo-fascists to stamp out any sort of progressive ideology at the base because ultimately that is more of a threat to them than collaborating with people like Trump or not even collaborating with people like Trump just allowing people like Trump and the Trump administration to completely do whatever they want have free reign so then at the end of the reckoning they can look back at us and say see you should have voted for us look what happens when you vote for the other guy so this is their strategy this is their strategy it's a you talked about scorched earth I mean it's a perfect way to put it. Yeah. And there's all these like celebrity, you know, neoliberals like excoriating people who said that, you know, they would basically be voting for the lesser of two evils if they voted for Hillary Clinton. Like Bill Maher is like, oh, so now you st- you think that you're, you know, like now are you sorry? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, because Hillary Clinton was a fucking horrible candidate. Right. You guys should be sorry for acting like she was good in the first place. Right. You totally fucked up. And you know it. Like anybody who's really honest knows she is horrible. She's literally one of the most unlikable politicians that I know of. I mean, there I, it doesn't even make sense how you can't see that. And it makes less sense when you look at the uh, actual demographics and people who chose to do a non-vote for president, who actually showed up to the polling places and did not vote for president. Isn't that funny? That actually outnumbers the Jill Stein votes, I think, almost two to one. So when you want to talk about, you know, the Julian Assange mentality that thinks that there's somehow this vigor on the right, and and he actually, one of his arguments, and we could talk about this later, but one of his arguments was actually the number of people who voted libertarian versus green. Um, That is astounding. Uh, It's extremely astounding to somehow base that on on the the vigor on the ground right i mean we've already been so demoralized that basically no one votes really and then when they did it was a uh it was either a protest vote or like intellectual bribery by being like told over and over again that if you don't do this you're like a horrible person 
who the, and the entirety of the world's problems will be on your shoulders because you chose to like either not support Hillary or like not, you know, vote third party, vote with your conscience. So it's really amazing that you can, you can base that on like, oh, who, how many people voted for Jill Stein? Well, twice as many people came to the polling places and did not vote for president. I think that really says it all. Yeah, I mean, I can't really explain why. I mean, there was definitely a lot of money, billionaire money, you know, put into libertarian sort of institutions and ideas. Um, and there's just not, not any money coming to like the Green Party. I mean, the Green Party is way more disorganized, too, than the Libertarian Party, like just historically speaking. Yeah, they don't have so, billionaires backing them. This can't is even really all, compare. Yeah. I mean, it's incomparable. And the, the Libertarian Party is not, I mean, I don't, I guess, is Julian Assange trying to say that's like the right, like anti-establishment yeah. faction? Yeah. And then the Green is the, I mean, yeah, it's just not comparable at all. Um, and and back but, to, you know, Hillary Clinton and her people, again, um, the entire democratic strategy is to write shame and name, ignore and just double down on all the horrible shit that that has brought us to where we are today, right? No viable alternative, no capitulation to any sort of like leftist or progressive ideals whatsoever, right? So doubling down on the worst and actually pushing the party more to the right, as we mentioned in the previous podcast, are now um, entertaining funding anti-choice candidates. I just saw a quote from Tim Kaine talking about why he doesn't support single-payer health care. But this, this, is, this is what they're doing in response to the fake news phenomenon. Ready? So not only are they starting this think tank full of neocons to try to combat Russia, but they're also, they also created a website called Verit. Um, and it's created by Peter Dow. Peter Dow was an advisor to John Kerry in 2004, advisor to Obama in 2008, and um, actually probably not Obama, Hillary, because he's just like a Hillary henchman. So he's been by Hillary's side for the last you know, decade plus. He started this website with her and they launched it like telling, you know, she went on Twitter and she was like, everyone check out the news for the 68 million or whatever. Um, but here's the thing. It's not a news site at all. And I'm just going to read you a description from someone, a woman named Emily Zanotti. So Hillary Clinton acolytes launched Verit, a site dedicated to keeping the pro-Clinton movement alive. If it ever actually existed at all outside of Lena Dunham and some baby boomers, billing itself as the media for the 66 million, Verit quickly failed to take the media world by storm and nearly every mainstream media outlet bemoaned the site that no one asked for. But nevertheless, Clinton and her advisor, Peter Dow, um, persisted. She persisted. They forced the internet to deal with the pre-packed quotes and factoids that supposedly prove Hillary Clinton was right after all. And that's what the website really is. It's simply memes and facts. Um, it's not a news site. It's not even an aggregate. It's literally just pro-Hillary Clinton memes and facts that are just desperately trying to maintain some sort of like movement that never existed in the first place. And they just continue to push forward pretending like the election never happened. Pretending like they can somehow galvanize all these people. And we already know that probably a lot of those people were just protest votes against Trump. I mean, to be honest. So in this delusional, in the delusional minds of Hillary Clinton and her people, they still won, really, Robbie, they still won. And this website is going to just reinforce how right they were all along. So it has quotes like today, Peter Dow tweeted a, a, a little meme from Verit that said, I'm not going anywhere. And it was just, just a quote from Hillary Clinton. 
Um, that is fucking crazy. <laughs> like, how is that a thing? Um, and here's another example of, of what's on the website. Um, this is amazing. So here, so it's all like very weird, um, like like bringing us back to the campaign as if any, any of us want to revisit the horrible nightmare that was the last election. Here's this hot take um, on, on Verit. It says, oh, by the way, Wisconsin, Clinton never visited Wisconsin once. Remember that. So here's a, yep. here's a little Verit quote. In Wisconsin, Hillary Clinton won the majority of voters who said the economy was their top concern. So, and then this woman points out that oddly enough, when you dig into the story that it's like sourcing, it was like before, like well before the election. So if that's the truth, is this even like correct? It's like, what does this even mean? You're just pulling some random quote from a Washington Post article um, like that has no context of when it was said or what, you know? And, and here's the most amazing part about every single one of these little memes and facts is that it has an authentic authentication code. It says verit.com authentication code on every single quote and meme. So if you want to take five extra like minutes to like try to verify these factoids and memes and quotes, um, you can type it into the website or you can text some weird robot, obviously collecting all your data, um, the code and it'll tell you if it's verified or not. But people have already pointed out how bizarre and accurate and just completely faulty the system is. Someone else tweeted out like this quote that was not said by someone on Verit. And then to try to rectify it, they like, they like said, okay, yeah, it was said by this person, but they were quoting this person. It's like, what are you doing? Like, this is not like, it's just crazy. The amount of money poured into this bizarre website just because Hillary is so desperate. And then she comes out with this crazy book. What happened? You fucking happened. You happened. You <laughs> happened twice. Um, and not only that, but you somehow less than a year after the election, you're going on a goddamn book tour. Like even one of her former aides were at, was asked by a journalist, like, are you excited for Hillary's book tour? And they just like shook their head, like nodding and just walked away. Like this wow. is this is astounding and she's selling tickets for the book tour like starting at like a hundred dollars wait wait did you when you saw that clip did you read it like they even her people were like a little bit like weird oh, like her people are just like i have no idea why the fuck this is happening i Whoa. think that everyone around her is well, just like oh my god go away go away well did you okay so there's two things that i already know about this book one of them is that she actually did an audiobook version herself, which is insane. Oh, my God. Um, if you want to listen to clips of it, some of them you can find online. Uh, and then she also, in the book, like, spends a bunch of time, like, trashing Bernie Sanders and saying that he, like, helped ruin her chances of beating Trump. And she directly blames him. And there's so much resentment in it that it's pathological. Right. It's, it's actually disturbing. And... It's clear to me, just from watching the interview she did about it, where they ask her about the Bernie Sanders stuff, that she just doesn't blame any. She blames everybody right, but right, herself. Right, exactly. She didn't even probably think Russia cost for the election. She even she blamed Obama just, for like not criticizing Bernie enough early on, or like Putin early enough, or something. She like has a whole passage in there about how Obama forced her to not criticize people enough on the campaign trail. Isn't that what her whole campaign was? Just all anti-Trump shit. So she actually blames Obama for not allowing her. She said that she felt like she was in a straitjacket. Oh, yeah. I saw that because he told – he asked her <laughs> not to um, 
I don't know what he asked her. Like, so, so, like, to, like, just advise her not to like go so hard on either Bernie or something or Trump or something. I, I, yeah. I forget what it was, but she was like, I felt like I was in a straitjacket and I couldn't do what I like wanted. Like she would listen or give a shit yeah, what Obama right. says when she le- that doesn't even make sense. It, it's basically she's, she's yeah. her own person. Yeah, she just goes through and blames everyone. And she even has an amazing quote about the women's march. Um, that huge march that happened right after Trump got elected. She says, I couldn't help. She said, yeah, it was great, but I couldn't help but wonder where was that enthusiasm for my campaign? So you wanted people to march for you? You wanted us to organize a march just, well, just for so you? She's even mad about like what was pretty much like a neoliberal, yeah. like basically like bought and paid for giant stage protest against Where Trump. was the enthusiasm for her campaign, Robbie? Where was that march for her? And oh my God, you know what else she says in the interview? The interviewer asked, didn't you criticize Obama when you ran against him in 2008? And she's like, oh, yeah, we had it out in the primaries. But immediately when he won, I was 100% behind him and turn around and support him 100%. Exactly. It's the most false thing ever. (laughs) She held out longer. Bilderberg. She hanged. She held out so long that it was disturbing. People were like, what is she doing? Dianne Feinstein, this is the the official story yeah there was people you know she might have gone to Bilderberg that year with Obama and they helped hash it out there possibly but the official story was that she went over Diane Feinstein's house with Obama for a private meeting because she refused to step down and I think this was even after the um what do you call it the the delegates all chose Obama it was like, oh my god! It wasn't. There wasn't even any like mathematical possibility for her at that point. But she like refused to concede. Yeah, and remember, and people were like very confused. Oh yeah, and, I remember. And people may forget that they actually, actually, they actually hijacked their press corps, put them on another plane, and disappeared for like an yeah. entire weekend. The same weekend that the Bilderberg conference was going on in Chantilly, Virginia, Hillary and Obama like disappeared. They hijacked. They hijacked a their pr- press actual corps. press pool. Yeah flew them to a state that they didn't want to go to without the president on it. And everybody's like, what the fuck did you just right, do? Right. Like, can you imagine if Obama actually did that when out, outside the primary? That was like actually probably the worst thing he that ever did. That was bizarre. And it was obviously that, it, Hillary. The press was very upset. Yeah. They were very not pleased with no. that. No, and it was all going back to this weird meeting that he he probably told Hillary, you're going to get secretary of state and, and we'll support you next time. I mean, what else could it have been? Because that's when she came out and just that's when it finally happened, where she finally yeah. stepped down. I mean, let's just be honest about the Clintons. They are pathological sociopaths. There's just no question about it. The fact that Hillary Clinton felt like it was her turn and that even the Democratic Party seemed to like just basically, I mean, they rigged it for her. Like everything about her and her husband is just, they're, they're pathological people. I mean, like, I mean, I'm not saying Roger Stone is a credible guy, but like when you really look into the rape allegations against President Clinton, it's like just that alone is like, how did these people survive politically and keep going? It's, a, it's, a, it's really insane. Right. When you really think right. about it. That's how entitled and pathological they are. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because anyone who's questioning Verit, which is everyone, because everyone thinks it's a fucking joke and they're just like roasting the hell out of Peter Dow. He, every single criticism, he's responding to like the Bernie bro shutdown being like, oh, this is how much people hate women. It's like, wait, you're a guy. Like, what are you talking about? No one's criticizing women, dude. We're just making fun of your dumbass website. 
It's so sad. Like, he's like, fact, people are still terrified of Hillary. Fact, people want to still destroy Hillary. Fact, people want to silence anyone who supports her. It's like, no, dude, we just think you're a dumbass. Yeah, and she's done. Why are we still, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's what you were bringing up earlier. Is she done? That's the thing. I mean, like, I'm assuming that she's not stupid enough in the Democratic Party isn't stupid enough to have her run again. Well, but that's, Robbie, you're making a big assumption there. I know that's, I'm thinking about it now. I think you might be right that they, that they are really going to fuck up hugely again. Trump's going to win again. Trump is going to win again. It's a nightmare. I mean, this is the thing. It's like once the idea of single payer healthcare, I mean, maybe Hillary has a point. If you take her ego aside for a second, that Bernie caused too much quote unquote damage to the political landscape, so to speak, in like the opposite way that Trump right. did. Like he was up there too often talking about single payer healthcare, right. Medicare for all, that at a certain point, once that gets enough momentum, how do you go back right. from that exactly. in the public consciousness? For anybody, like any normal democratic voter would be like, yeah, we probably should have something like that. Like it's only the establishment people who are trying to like shut down that debate. I mean, it really, it really is like, yeah, you're totally I think right. polling would reflect what I'm saying. I mean, oh, no, I'm it's guessing, 65%. Yeah. Of America. Of Democrats America. or Well, yeah, that says it right there. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, that that's, so it's just, it's, it's really, really um, sad to watch what they're trying to do. It's a complete no brainer. I'm sorry, but we're the only um, remotely like industrialized country who people have to crowdfund for medical expenses it's absolutely disgusting and we should be ashamed of ourselves that someone gets in a car accident and says, please help my family pay for me to survive in the hospital. I mean, get diabetic treatment or whatever. I just saw a guy who died, some, some a friend of an acquaintance on Facebook who posted like the week before he died, he was like, I'm shitting and, and vomiting blood. He's like, I can't go to the hospital because I can't afford it. He was like, otherwise I'll be homeless. Wow, it really sucks to have to choose between like being homeless and going to the hospital, huh? And then like a week later, he died. He's our age. Um, so I saw that. That was tragic I mean, this is fuck. this is what's going on every day. And we're crowdfunding for medical expenses. There was just a billion dollars crowdfunded just last year for people in need of medication. Um, I think healthcare is a right. I think that the richest country in the world, it should absolutely be a fundamental human right to have healthcare. And I think cr we'd see crime drop dramatically. I think we'd see a lot of things um, be rectified in this country if people were just provided the very, very basic amenities. Um, and, and there's absolutely no reason other than propaganda and lobbying um, that have prevented this from happening, frankly. And it works in every other country. Like this is the whole Ben Shapiro debate saying like, you fucking, you, you, you stupid prog progressives, you idealists, like, oh, you want to dream up unicorns and fairies. It's like, no, dude, I'm just looking at the rest of the world. I mean, it seems like it's not that hard to actually implement a single payer system. You just expand Medicaid. It's just really weird. Yeah. Like the argument, it's like, oh, on a billion years. In your wildest dreams, like acting like this does this isn't a concept that exists everywhere else in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. America has a lot of bullshit about it that other countries don't have. And people here, you know, they've they probably are like, oh, this is just like Michael Moore, like lefty, you know, propaganda like demoralize us and make us like hate our own country, you know. 
to like I want to like show them how it's actually like really good. I mean, to me, that seems like that's the they're where they're coming from, and it's just like a childlike nationalism. I mean, who gives a shit if our country looks worse than others? I mean, it's just the reality, right? Like, I mean, why is it's just like I don't know if you saw the Steve Bannon interview on sixty Minutes, but he got really upset at Charlie Rose for bringing up that Native Americans were here before like colonialists no in the United way. States. And he's like, Charlie, that's just that's just something the lefties say. Excuse like, why are you saying me? like why are you saying that? Like, it was it was the founders who really formed the United States. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I could see how you want to hold on to that narrative because you 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 know you want that's like your idea of the West or Western values, but that's the f- historical reality. Oh so my it's like, god! To say that that's leftist or lefty propaganda to like. Bring up the Native American. Well, I mean, yeah, if you want to call facts lefty propaganda, I mean, what? It's just so funny how these people operate in their own narratives. Wow. Um, so Ben Shapiro to me is just, you know, a more intellectual, less offensive version of like what Steve Bannon is doing. And he's just, you know, I just probably got really upset watching like Michael Moore's sicko yeah. and like spent like 10 years trying to debunk it or something. <laughs> And Michael Moore's got a lot of problems with that movie. Does a pretty goddamn good job of showing you how obvious it is that healthcare is better for a lot of people in other countries. So many of the countries that you would never think of of having better healthcare than us. Right. That you'd be shocked. Right. So, and I hate to bring up uh, countries like Saudi Arabia, but even Saudi Arabia has maternity leave paid. I mean, it's really yeah. we are literally the only country in like the the developed nation that has no maternity leave for women. That Mm -hmm. is amazing. Um, Yeah, I mean, the whole thing about the shift in the argument to SJWs and, you know, you have the Trump phenomenon and and all the Trump regime in office, in the highest seat in the fucking world. And still, for some odd reason, the argument has shifted over to these free speech rallies and leftists, the war on the left. Just this narrative keeps getting pushed down our throats um and it's so easy to do so when you see the the total abysmal failure of the establishment media and the democratic party because for foreigners living outside and a lot of these people are not even americans like either julian assange stefan molyneux prison planet all these all these people look looking at the political spectrum of the u.s and giving their take it's really hard when you're just like gauging it on YouTube metrics or political party act like participation, like, like established political party participation. So it's just really weird how, you know, somehow the argument is now we're like still just the leftists just trying to like push facts and just say, no, this is the reality. These are the facts. And instead we should all be fighting this crazy evangelical takeover. Like where's the new atheist movement? on Trump. Are they upset that like Christian evangelicals are now running all of, all of these departments or are they still obsessing about SJWs? They're still obsessing about SJWs. Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, I, I, and I think that they, they just don't even bother to pay attention. I really don't think they do. Um, and, uh, yeah, even Sam Harris, um, I, I've noticed he gotten just on a side note, he gotten like an argument with a bunch of his followers because he was saying how much he despises like anti-Semitic alt-right people. And like he just, I mean, apparently he, people who are anti-Semitic alt-right follow his work and they were very upset. Right. Um, a lot of people were getting very upset at him. 
And uh, it's, yeah, it's interesting that I don't, I haven't really, I don't really know where the new atheist movement is right now because ISIS is sort of quietly being marginalized and, sh- and shrinking in Syria. So the lower, the like less fame ISIS gets, and the less like media has attention they get, I feel like the new atheists like, outrage about Muslims is like not, a, it's like almost like a equal opposite reaction to ISIS. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. I mean, and I think that's what was stoking a lot of that Islamophobia in that new atheist world for a while. And it seems to have kind of died down a little bit. There's not as, it's not as vulgar and intense right now. Um, I don't you know. You brought up an interesting point. Um, so after the Joe Rogan podcast, my portion about my trip to Palestine went viral. It has almost 2 million views on Facebook alone. It went really viral and it was really amazing. A lot of people who had no idea, you know, about Palestine. Was it his official clip or was it someone who pulled it? It was someone who pulled it. Yeah. Someone who pulled it from the show, um, which was really great to see. And I got a lot of amazing feedback. So of course, you know, the Israeli government depends on controlling the narrative. That's how Israel exists in the first place, painting itself as the victim, of course, and all they have is Hasbro. They have a giant Hasbro farm. They reward people with hot air balloon rides around Tel Aviv who can edit the most Wikipedia entries in a month. And you can watch our episode about this, the death and distortion behind um, Israel's coverage. But what's really fascinating is after this clip became viral, um, this organization called Stand With Us uh, posted a video on Facebook to combat all of my anti-Semitic lies. That's what they called it. And in the description of the video, it says notorious anti-Semite, Abby Martin, basically like point by point tries to combat like the main things that I say. And it's Uh totally full of bullshit, obviously. It's just like a complete Israeli propaganda film. Um, And they just flooded all of my social media. They flooded Joe Rogan trying to tell him to ban me, saying that I was an anti-Semite. It was really curious. And then Max told me that this organization is actually funded directly by the Israeli government. At first I just thought, oh, they have like questionable funders. And I saw like a lot of like neocon investment and um, people who say a lot of crazy Islamophobic stuff too are invested in Stand With Us and how it's been criticized before as like an overt propaganda arm that just calls anyone who criticizes Israel an anti-Semite. So I just thought, oh, wow, that's damning enough. But then Max told me that they directly are funded by the Israeli government and that there's been a push for them to try to like register as a foreign agent, kind of like they're trying to do with RT. Um, so it's really amazing that that the Israeli government has put so much money into trying to smearing me um, online. And honestly, every single thing that I said in the podcast can be verified either by my own video reports or facts. Like like people were saying that I was totally making up the fact that Palestinians can't wave flags. Look at Amnesty International, baby. Go to Amnesty International right now and look up the rules under military law in the West Bank. And you will see you cannot be a member. Like, there is no political parties. You can't be in a protest more than 10 people without getting a permit by the authorities. Um, flags are illegal. How does the Israeli government deal with Amnesty International? They say oh, they just probably ignore it. I mean, that's propaganda. the thing. That's the thing. In this video, <laughs> the woman just, like, doesn't... I mean, she just pretends like I'm just, like, making all of it up. They even claim... And you're literally getting it from Amnesty International. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they even claim that, like, I didn't go to the West Bank. There's, like, that's so amazing. many... There's, like, so many bizarre wow. theories. And what's amazing is even this town called Sebastia, we went to, two Palestinians were shot that day for putting up a flag on the hilltop. So let's say, hypothetically, let's say in law, 
you they say you can hold a Palestinian flag. Well, in practice, they'll shoot you. Okay, and we met, we actually met someone who is dealing with the situation on the hill of Sebastia where people are getting shot and potentially killed for putting up a flag. So it's just amazing to me. And we have footage of all of this. We still have to release that, that interview. Um, so it's, it's crazy to see the extent of the smear campaign. And when I brought this up to you, Robbie, you said something really interesting. As we know, Netanyahu's not even, you know, he wasn't born in Israel. He's from America. But his son is actually like a Trump troll, like an alt-right troll. Yeah, he's posting some uh, meme magic, some experienced. Uh, I don't know how long people have been paying attention to his. Do you have his account? Media feeds. I want to look him up. Well, I don't. I don't. I think he actually might have frozen or removed his yeah. account already. But there's pictures of it. If you go to, um, there's a Slate article with the headline: "Why is Netanyahu's son spreading anti-Semitic memes?" Um, and they show a picture of the actual meme, and I'll describe it for you. What he posted: twenty-six-year-old. Yair Netanyahu posted an image Saturday titled The Food Chain showing Soros, a oh, reptilian no. humanoid, and a hooded, hook-nosed elder of Zion type dangling inducements before three of the family's enemies. Former Prime Minister <laughs> Ehud Barak, anti-Netanyahu protest leader Elad Yaniv, and many, not, not, let me see if I'm pronouncing that right, many Naftali, a former housekeeper who has given a salacious court testimony against the Netanyahu's. Um, so, yeah, and then people looked into his background, and he's posting all this shit about how BLM thugs and Antifa are going to, like, destroy America. Um, and uh, and he's all... But, like, I guess he's not an overt, like, alt-right white, white genocide guy, even though he'll post things like memes of, like, giant, like, you know, hook-nosed Jew cartoon type things. So it's very odd. Very, very odd. And it really does go back to what we've talked about before about how people in Israel, certain really nationalistic, like ethno-nationalist Israelis, have a very strong spiritual connection to the ethno-nationalist alt-right in the United States. And it's easy to not know the history of Breitbart or to even forget it if you've like learned about it before. They formed Breitbart in Israel as like a symbolic gesture. They literally formed that. Oh they God. went to Israel and had meetings for like a couple of weeks and like decided to start the company and then like officially, you know, launched it from in Israel. And this is um, people like Richard Spencer say this all the time openly. It's just that Bannon will never say this openly. They want Israel oh yeah, to Richard apply Spencer, here. I like how candid yeah, no, he I is. Like, I, I actually respect his candor. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a candid dude. Like that's how a lot of these other people should talk. But I mean. And he actually like will bash other people for being yeah. like fucking like all like we know you're real all right like you talk like white genocide now you're just like a pussy and you're like a like a band yeah like us. he like he openly <laughs> talks about how yeah this is what we are looking for here we're looking for an ethno a white ethno nationalist state like like Israel I mean he openly talks yeah. about it and I and I actually respect that because people like Gavin McGinnis are you know they're they're in the shadows a little too much just come out be who it's you coded. really are yeah it's bored it's 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 pussy coded mm -hmm. language like like Ann Coulter and Gavin mm -hmm. McGinnis. It's just like yeah, I mean you can wrap it up in these you know racist jokes and whatever, but it's like just be you. Just be you, baby. I mean, I mean come on, just like Gavin McGinnis acts like he's the most unfiltered dude in the world, but I mean if I, I know he is does have white nationalist views, just come out with him, dude. Just be open. Yeah. 
Stop being all like coded and quoting Jordan Peterson and quoting statistics. Like just be you. Just be you, dude. Be a racist. Yeah. Um, so, oh yeah, one other really funny thing that happened was Ted Cruz liking the that porn tweet. Did you see that? That was hysterical. I loved it. It was amazing. He's he's so and then he tried to come back all sad and say that a staffer did it. Dude, come on. Well come on, dude. Did you do you remember him telling the story about when he was a Supreme Court assistant? That he looked up Ruth? cantaloupe porn? He wa- sat down and watched hardcore pornography on the internet. Robbie, it was just Ruth for Bader research. Ginsburg. Yeah. So he's into some weird shit. I bet you he didn't even have to do that. And he's like, I really want to be next. I want my dick to get hard next to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I've been waiting to accomplish this fantasy. Like, I I mean, maybe he's a little bit of a pervert. Uh, yeah. Maybe that... Maybe he's all sweaty in front of that butter cow because it turned him he on. He also tried to ban sex toys. Yeah, because he didn't want his wife to get off of the sex toy. He has like orgasm withholding fetishes. Yeah, he, he posted on August 2014, <laughs> August 9th. He says, wow, a cow made of butter. My girls would love it. In fact, the first sentence Carolyn ever said was, I like butter. <laughs> and he's just like Holy standing in fuck. front of like a giant butter cow, like looking super like sweaty. sweaty. Super sweaty. Amazing. Um, well, really creepy. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of these people like Ted Cruz who are very obviously sexually repressed and very Christian. I mean, they probably look at porn just like everybody yeah. else and jerk off just like everybody else. I mean, like even like Mark Wahlberg, I saw him, he was on Howard Stern and, and he's like converted Catholic now. What? He has been for like 10 years. And also, by the way, Mark Wahlberg is a racist attempted murderer right, he, he, twice yep. over twice. Um, right. He actually disfigured a Vietnamese man. I think he left him blind in one eye. Um, but Mark Wahlberg claims he never masturbates. Excuse me? And I was just thinking, like, I just don't believe you. Like, why would why would you say that? What the like, hell? So, I don't know. I mean, so, I mean, yeah, Ted Cruz looks at porn. I was hoping it was going to be something oh, like I less know, vanilla. I know, like I a, know, I was so, it like was a little, super like, mundane. It was, it looked like his wife. Yeah. It was sad. I almost thought it was cuckold porn at first. <laughs> like I thought I saw a guy looking oh, at a man. girl getting fucked by a guy, but it wasn't, yeah. it was like a girl looking at, it's a little voyeur, actually it was a little bit like voyeurism right. porn. It was like a girl like touching herself, watching a couple. Fuck. But what was really funny too is, little... is is Ted Cruz is like can't like I don't know someone working for him like posted we reported the tweet. It's like what do you mean you reported yeah, the tweet? Yeah, he we liked reported a, it he too. liked a porn video. Let's just move on. <laughs> and did you see the company for, who made the video like change their entire website to be like Ted Cruz endorsed <laughs> and all this shit? And the actual like Twitter account says like clicked on by Ted yes, Cruz and stuff now. So good it's so good oh wait i wanted to say one more thing about the bot farm robbie that i totally forgot about and i think this really gives you some insight on how this shit works or not really it's just curious mike was responding to a very like mundane conversation on twitter with you know between someone who doesn't really have many followers and immediately after he wrote something to this guy 80 people liked his comment like one of these bot farms somehow like accidentally like liked Mike's tweet and it was like all fake bots to, who did it. It happened instantaneously. And it was like an arbitrary it was a tweet, totally right? random, just comment to someone else like about, about something. Yeah. I had the same thing really? happen to me recently where it was, I don't even know what I said. And I, it got liked and retweeted by like a hundred accounts over a hundred accounts instantly. And they were all bots. That is so weird. 
it made no sense. And I was like, how does, uh, that's so weird. I've never actually like, encountered that before. Maybe it's like these ro- robots or algorithms just like trip up sometimes. I don't know. Yeah. Or it's someone testing out, right. testing right. out or beta testing it. It's hard to say, are there keywords? Right. Um, I mean, I'm sure Twitter has all the, the, this data, like in their system where they can see where it's all coming from. But, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is like the, all these private companies, they, the government probably gets all this information from them already about like how many right. of them are coming from Russia and stuff. I mean, it's very, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I, I'll go back to what I said earlier that I think the real danger is that anyone with enough money and time and energy can open up a bot farm on Absolutely. social media or spread, you know, libelous information on the internet or quote unquote fake news. And it does, it could be from anyone with any kind of agenda. And I think that maybe that's what's really scaring the U S government because they were probably the masters of putting out fake shit for a long yep. time. Yep. Like they were able to really lock down a lot of the even mainstream media narratives, you know, after nine 11 is a good example. I mean, the media pretty much never questioned really anything. Let's wrap it up because I'm out of, time anyway on these batteries and I feel like if uh, to address the Julian Assange thing I might as well just do it in a separate little piece and just like we could just talk just about that I think that that would be almost better well thank you so much everyone for listening um let us know what you think on on SoundCloud uh subscribe to the podcast on iTunes as well because we don't know if SoundCloud is shutting down and really we have to put this information out there on a multitude of forums because like we were saying before these corporations can just decide arbitrarily to censor us at any time so it's it's a pretty scary climate um when corporations have this much power to determine what we see and what we don't see and it can really shape our entire reality so continue to combat the propaganda on all sides fact check everything for yourself don't use verit don't text peter dow with the authentication code to try to verify these things just look for yourself become media literate. I always, I always tell people that, but it's true. That really is the best thing you can do to navigate what we're dealing with right now. Yeah. And social media is ultimately a trap and it's all privately controlled. It's not a public utility. It's not, it doesn't include the first amendment built into it. So I'm not saying to reject it entirely and abandon it, but if you want to get your message out there, don't rely on it entirely. Don't expect it to be an outlet that's going to be there forever. I mean, it even seems like your um, ability to get stuff out there is shrinking over time on things like Facebook. Like it's like it's being purposely like lowered in people's feeds. So um, we don't know what these social media companies are really up to, but we do know that they have announced they're trying to combat fake news. Right. So. I think at that point, it really is over. And we know I mean, what they think is fake news isn't just these right-wing bots or Russia. It, it, we know from that list from Washington Post, it includes truth dig, counterpunch. I mean, these, when you when you go back to the real threat, that's the threat. So again, yep. we have to support these organizations, support the grassroots media outlets, support media roots. We've been going at this for 10 plus years, you guys. We got to... Maybe not that long, (laughs) but we've been going hard for a long time um, through several administrations and have never faltered. We've always remained anti-war, anti-imperialist, and we will continue to do so. We are not partisan, um, and we just encourage everyone to not get sucked into this tribalistic, partisan um, mindset. Yep. All right. 
Much love, Great. everyone. Peace out. Have a good one. And please donate to our Patreon Media Roots account. Uh, we're still trying to reach our goal of five hundred dollars uh, per creation, and we will put out four episodes per month once we reach that goal. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye.